This episode of Bushers Breakaway is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks the prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, you know, well, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with up to 60% off. If you're interested in going to see the Vegas Knights play the New York Rangers next Monday, you know what to do. Use the GameTime app right before the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets with up to 60% off. Let's get today's show. Here's Mark Messier. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Bushers Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Bushers Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead. I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, recite the effort level of all Bushers Breakaway members, one to five. When? Uh, oh, oh, I see what you're doing. Yes. Never mind. I see what you're doing. Yes, now, now you I know. I see what you're doing. Yes, I'm, I'm, being, yeah. I'm being a good coach. You know, I'm trying to promote a good environment. Yeah, no one puts the cock in Babcock. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. Well, he's not allowed in the cock. Or Church Cocker, rather. He's just, uh, he's banned. No thanks. Anyone... I mean, if he, if, he, if he wants to buy his way in, I can be bribed. Uh, that's so true. If you want to make a donation, I think we can figure some stuff out. That's how churches yeah. work. Also, right? also, before we go any further, uh, big shout out to uh, Pavel Kondrachev on Twitter, who actually did bribe me to stay at the bar I was at on Saturday. Legitimately? Uh, legitimately sent me money on Venmo that's... and said, and said, don't move. And I was like, all right, cool. We'll move then. <laughs> That's incredible. Good shot to that guy. Um, yeah. So it, I want to take all the credit for that win, but I think Pavel deserves deserves a big, big portion of that credit. I was at Friendsgiving during that game, uh, mm. and, and as as I saw, I, th- I believe we spent Friendsgiving together last year. So you know how sure good, did. how good the food is in that situation. Uh, so, you know, I looked at my phone. I was like, all right, Rangers are down four nothing. Like I don't really need to put the game on. And then I looked at my phone. I was like. It's 4-2. I was like, oh, no, no. I, I got to watch the rest of the game in the comeback. I couldn't believe it happened because I got to watch the Ottawa game, too, in a bar while I was doing some other things. And, boy, that game was disheartening. There was nothing good about it. I did, Do you have any takeaways from the Ottawa game? Because, dude, it was just Ottawa was just owning us yet again. I thought the Rangers would be pissed off the way Ottawa treated them last time, and they just clearly weren't. Um, but they got their revenge and got shit back together in in Montreal. And I think a lot of that goes to the credit of Bryn Lemieux. I mean, I I can't fathom what it is like to lose your teeth. Only get a four-minute power play for losing your teeth. Your team doesn't score, and then you continue to play hockey, and then you play the next day. Like, Brady Shea handed the dude his teeth. I don't understand. How you could do that. But that's why he plays in the NHL and I podcast. Uh, your original question, were there any good takeaways from the Ottawa game? Really, no. Uh, just none at all. It was, let me tell you, as someone that was physically in the building, uh, shout out oh, to yeah. Eugene Melnick. You were there. Yeah shout, out, yeah, shout out to Eugene Melnick, who's so fucking cheap that the Canadian Tire Center doesn't have Wi-Fi. Literally Wait, hold on. does not have Wi-Fi. This, like, I... You, I want to be clear about this. If you're at the stadium, mm. you probably should be yep. watching the game anyway. So I get it. Right. But yep. 
to not have Wi-Fi in 2019 at a stadium is a crime. I'm pretty sure it's illegal. I they want they kept asking fans to interact with them on social media, and I was just like, how? How would you like that to happen? <laughs> no one here has Wi-Fi, so it's just not gonna work. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I don't know. It it was it really wasn't a fun game uh, to be at or sit through, and there really weren't any positives to take away from it. It honestly was such a bad game that I'm happy I didn't have the ability to log on to Twitter to see what everyone was saying about the game because no one could have had any actual opinions about that game. It would it was just it was just shitty. And when they came out to that four nothing lead against a uh, four nothing deficit against Montreal, luckily uh, we decided just to have a delicious steak dinner and bar hop for the game as opposed to going to it and. Turned out to be a lot more fun. I mean, I'm sure that kind of comeback would have been insane in the building, but being. Sorry about that little technical difficulty. Um, so we were talking about just how miserable the Ottawa game was and Montreal, the game you got, you got the chance to watch from a bar. You were bribed there. That's very good. What there's yeah. obviously a lot of takeaways from the Montreal game. Uh, what, but I guess my first question is what were the people in the bars around you like? Oh, they're fine. Um, they were there. Do it, it was a Saturday night in Montreal. So while everyone at the bar was focused on the Canadians game, it's not like anyone was coming up to us and talking shit. And it's not like we were going up to any of them talking shit. So it was like a mutual understanding that the hockey game is going on and we're just not rooting for the same thing. Um, the lesson I did learn in Canada this week, I learned two big lessons. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, the first is if, if you're looking for a more boring drive in North America – than the drive from Montreal to Ottawa, you're not going to find it. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. Um, and then second... Is it one road of just nothing? Mont one road of nothing, no turns, no hills. You pass a town halfway through that only exists because I think enough people had their cars break down and need to pee, and that's why that town exists. Okay. Um, second lesson, a whole lot of Canadians... Don't care for Ottawa as a city. Really don't. I think uh, I think everyone we met in Ottawa was like, really? Why'd you come to Ottawa? And we're like, what? It's it's old looking. It's fun. There are things to do. And they're like, yeah, maybe for a night. And then you got to get the fuck out. And we're like, oh, shit. Okay. okay. And then we were in Montreal. Everyone was like, really? You you went to Ottawa when you could have just spent two days in Montreal? And we're like, hey, that's a good point. Uh, we don't have, we don't have, a, we don't have any. I don't have a good reason. I mean, <laughs> listen, you tried a new thing. I'm proud of you. Does that make you feel any better? Probably not. But I mean, I had a great time in Ottawa too. Like it was just funny that everyone we encountered were like, really here. I guess it's how people would, it's how we would talk to people. If they're, they had two nights in um, the U S and they went to like South Dakota. Hoboken. No, like, I guess not Hoboken's a bad, bad example. Hoboken's like a good place to hang out. Yeah. If you went to, uh, oh boy. Well, I'm trying to think of a city big enough, but all of us, ah, you know what it's like, Ryan? It's like if you go to Jacksonville when you're in fucking, <laughs> when you're in the U.S. It's like, oh, I could go God. anywhere in Florida. And you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to go to Jacksonville. And everyone would be like, really? I guess that like, you don't want to go anywhere else. That actually is a rather good comparison. Um. Let's let's talk about sort of our takeaways from the last three games in general. We'll do a, we'll do a good sure. and bad section before we get to our guest for the night. Uh, Vince Piedre. Did I do that right? Pretty sure it's just Piedre, but mm. okay. Okay. I, I One of us is going to be right. Odds are it's me. I didn't know he was our guest till like 30 minutes ago. So, um, 
takeaways from the last couple of games. Brennan Lemieux, there, I think that's the best place to start. He's a player since he was traded for, I was told that was like a, a, a rough and tumble, sort of enforcer-like player who can also play hockey. Before these last three games, did you feel like he was, quote-unquote, an enforcer? Because I guess other than the fight against Wilson, which started this whole Brandon Lemieux saga, I've I've kind of been underwhelmed by Brandon Lemieux. But something has clicked. And the more injured Brandon Lemieux gets, the better he gets at hockey? And I don't understand that how that works. It's kind of like how the Saiyans in Dragon Ball Z, the more they get into fights, the stronger they get over time. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, those are words I've heard before. I've watched Dragon Ball Z. See? I thought I did a mainstream thing. I tried to help. Um, have I been underwhelmed by Liu? Not really. It, I don't think any anyone who was expecting him to become like a 40-point score, like 40-point player when the Rangers traded for him didn't think that was anywhere near realistic. Not saying anyone actually felt that way. Just saying if those are the high end of your expectations, I think we're talking about the wrong guy. Um when it comes to enforcers, I don't know. I don't usually like to think of enforcers anyway. Because Michael Haley's gotten in a shit ton of fights and doesn't do anything. Lemieux's the guy who plays with a quote-unquote edge, but does it in the new age way where he's reckless with his body, but not in a dangerous way. And he's not afraid to scrap, but he's not looking to. Which every team probably wants. I don't know if every team needs but him and D'Angelo are very similar in that regards. And, I mean, he was great against the Canadians. Uh, always helps when, you know, Pops is in the stands. And if your dad's Claude Lemieux, you're doing everything you can to impress him. But I I don't want to say I'm underwhelmed. I would say he's been meeting my pretty low expectations. Uh, it's also a little hard to grade Lemieux for the most part of the season. He's been tied to Brett Howden. We've talked about how people that have been tied to Brett Howden have seemed to struggle this year. Do you, so, think, do you think Howden has stepped up in the past couple of games? Cause he's looked okay. Like, I, I don't think he's been great, but I think he's been okay. Uh, yeah. Great pass last night to set up the new second goal. I, I don't think he's looked any better or any worse. I think he, he has long stretches in which he struggles. And then he has moments that you can say, okay, I see what the Rangers see in him long-term. You know how I know but, it's been a long weekend for you. You said last night and it's Monday night. Oh shit. Yep. That's You're right. A, that's how. Um, that's how I know uh, this has been a long time coming for you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder where I would bad. be. I wonder if. I wonder where I would be just like physically if we didn't go to Moisha's Saturday night for dinner and I had a stomach full of the best steak you'll ever eat. Yeah, you had a, that nutrition, nutritious protein. I couldn't speak there for a second. What else is new? And uh, mm. if you didn't have that ability, you probably would have been lost in, in an alley somewhere for the rest of the weekend. So. Uh, let's go to the next player that I have on my list here of, of people I thought have changed or, or are you done, not done talking about Lemieux? No, I'm done. Okay. Uh, Brady Shea, who I've flamed and criticized over the past couple weeks a little bit, mm. uh, definitely had a very, very quite bonehead play in Ottawa. Um, just not picking up defenders. I thought that game served as a wake-up call for him a little bit. And again, small sample size. I think this has been the – that's been one of our models this year, right? Small sample size. But these last two games, Shea's looked like a different player. It looks like he got his ass kicked and got, got screamed at and is finally taking coaching to heart. He's getting to the net, which I hadn't seen him do in a long time. Not that, he's, not that he should be all the time. He's a defender. But he's created offense. I thought his defense has been a, a little bit better. 
uh, if not much better than even just these last two games. But the Minnesota Wild in general, uh, not exactly the biggest threat of a team uh, offensively. And I don't know. They uh, in, in overtime, I, I, I saw they had lost three overtime games in the past five games. And uh, this this game lasted, what, like 20 seconds in overtime? So, again, not not like a truly offensive elite team, but I thought Shea has been proving himself uh, at least worthy as, as one of the better defenders on the team right now. Yeah, the play in Ottawa was awful. Truly uh, bad. Even, even uh, the buddy who I was at the game with, not a big hockey fan, but knows enough to know that there is one player at fault for that go in Ottawa, and it was Brady Shea. Um, I do wonder if part of the reason why Shea looks better, it's a funny thing. The Shea D'Angelo pairing was working as well as it could have, but I do wonder if Shea had it in the back of his mind or not even in the back of his mind, maybe at the front of his mind that D'Angelo is more of an offensive defenseman. So Shea has to be more conservative and more focused on things he needs to do in his own zone and allow Tony D'Angelo to cook as much as he can offensively and not worry about the defense. And now the last two games while he's been with Truba, it's a guy Shea's played with since he was a teenager. And it's a guy Shea doesn't have to worry about as much or doesn't feel like he has to worry about as much in their own zone. So I wonder if it's freed up Shea a little bit to know that if he were to do something more aggressively in the final third of the ice, he doesn't feel like he's leaving Hank out to dry in a significant way. Just a thought that I'm having. I have no evidence to back this up. And I, heaven forbid, I do have evidence to back it up until D'Angelo yells at us, but <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Uh, oh, Tony. Did you? So I was, dude, I was literally asleep all day yesterday. I believe you. Did you see that chart shit happen in real time? What, I, 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 I saw it. I didn't really pay too much attention to it. I thought the way, uh, just so everyone knows, uh, Tony D'Angelo quote tweeted uh, Rob Lurker, right? That's who it, who it was. Um, right, we're big Rob guys. A big Rob, we're big Rob guys. If you don't follow Rob Lurker on Twitter, he does a great job doing analytics for the Rangers, um, covering them. Rob did a great job uh, responding, just saying, you know, I'm just a fan, Tony. I understand. Um, but Tony, Tony was just defending his guy with Ryan Strom. He was like, listen, if you if you don't think I know you, I see these charts all the time. Uh, you know, these aren't indicative of who we are. Players, Strom's been one of the best players on the team this year. You guys don't know what you're talking about, etc. But he was just defending his guy. I don't think it was that big of a deal. I kind of like that Tony D'Angelo did that. Uh, it doesn't make me dislike him. It doesn't make me think he doesn't he doesn't care about analytics. He probably doesn't care about analytics. But why does that bother me? His job is to play hockey at the best he can and to get the coaches to care about analytics. And so should the, so should the actual uh, executives of the, of the team. But, you know, then they have to translate that to coaching, to Tony. It's not his job to care about what his what his analytics are so uh, I don't mind that at all right it's just whenever this chart debate happens it's, it's funny because we know a couple things about Tony D'Angelo right we do first and foremost is he's an asshole at the same time he's on our team so he has to be our asshole and that means we have to grit our teeth and get through some things that he does some of the things unforgivable other things it's just like all right we fucking get it dude uh, at the same time I have no problem with D'Angelo sticking up. I have no problem with D'Angelo doing two things. One, I have no problem with him sticking up for Strom. If someone showed me a chart, regardless of how accurate it is, that said a guy I like and a guy I interact with all the time isn't as good as I think he is, regardless of that chart being true, I'm going to be like, hey, guy, how about you shut the fuck up? 
How about that? Why don't you try that on for size and go from there? Yeah. He's, um, he's defended his boy. Like those yeah. guys are together then, every single day. I don't see a problem right. with this. Right. And the second thing that doesn't bother me is what you said. Tony D'Angelo doesn't need to understand the charts. It'd be nice if all the players that we follow in every sport that we follow um, take it upon themselves to go a step further to try and improve their games. And maybe Tony D'Angelo does feel he does exactly that in other ways, be it extra skating time and optional skates, extra sessions in the gym, all that good stuff. I have no problem with the player himself being like, I don't understand the chart. I don't need to understand the chart. I'm just going to play hockey. That's great. Uh, the coaches need to understand the chart. The front offices need to understand the chart. And then Tony's agent needs to fucking understand those charts too. Because if Tony wants to get paid, his agent has to be like, look at all these things. We all agree Tony's decent on the ice. Now look at all these things that show Tony is actually better than his numbers led on to be, right? Yep. Players will give a shit about analytics if those analytics get them paid more. And when you're good, analytics will get you paid more. It's how Donskoy got three north of three and a half million dollars last year because he was is never a 40 point player but he does everything hidden between the numbers that teams love his agent used that and his agent got him a payday so i don't need tony d'angelo to be out here making charts of his own i promise you a chart will come into play the next time d'angelo wants to get paid and the fans the mouth breathers that are like watch the game nerds that's fine if I had a chart that said those people were good or bad at their jobs too, and if they were good, I could get them paid more, they'd want to use the charts too, Ryan. They would. So it's – I don't have any issue. You, I, do you know how I know this works, Gregory? And I'm glad you me, asked. Tell me. Because tell me. I use charts to promote our podcast and negotiate for mm-hmm. us, and we are number one in Brazil, and thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, yeah, and just the other thing, like, again, guys. By the way, I have something – I have bad news. We uh, – we dropped we dropped to number two in Brazil for one day, November fifth this year, on the all time hockey charts. We we dropped to number two, and the next day we went back up to number one. We broke our our undefeated streak, and it's been I've That's been I've bullshit. been super sad about it since. That's fucking bullshit. Come on, Brazil. But also, guys, again, we can dunk on Tony D'Angelo for his political beliefs, for his thoughts on fucking taxation, for all the shit he does off the ice, but. In this instance, D'Angelo wasn't even really taking a shot at Rob. He's just like, God damn it, I'm fucking tired of these charts. So it's it Rob's smart. Rob knows what he's doing. Rob has things to say. We don't agree with Rob all the time, despite the fact that he has all the evidence in the world to prove us just how wrong we are. It's it's just there are times to dunk on Tony, and I do not believe one of those times presented itself yesterday. I could, but again, I couldn't I, uh, agree I more. To, I really could. Yeah, I went to bed. I went to bed at 3 p.m. and didn't wake up until about 8 a.m. And, and Tony scored the goal game winner tonight in what looked like a shootout goal. Just went straight towards the net, no defenders whatsoever. Took the shot, scored. That was it. Um, and then they held possession. I there's so many topics I want to get to and talk about. We have a lot of five star questions coming up after our guest. Also, uh, I don't know how deep deeply we can get into this discussion right now, but I do want to say it. I love Panarin, and I just can't believe he's real. I don't understand how. I I if if I'm the I, I know the Islanders are having a great time right now, right? They whether they have like lost a point in like two months. If they had Panarin, like they would be Cup favorites. They just would be, or they'd have to be considered, because Panarin was close to close to signing there. He was, and I'm from Florida. I'm kicking myself. He's absolutely incredible. I don't think I've ever watched 
you know, I, I watched during the Yager days, but I didn't care like you cared during those days. And I've never watched a player like Panarin on a nightly basis. He's mind-blowingly good. I, I, it's, it's, it's incredible. Do you think he gets to 100 points a season? Because I sort of do. It wouldn't surprise me. This is going to sound weird. Okay. Uh, when Yager was putting up his 120-point season, every night he dominated the ice. Panarin... It doesn't feel like he's dominating the ice when he does it. This doesn't sound it weird. Just, it feels like it feels like he, like he sl- he slows the game down. He slows the game down in a way where he can then exploit it because he can speed it back up whenever he wants to. It's it's effortless, and that's what I think makes him so impressive, because you can see it, and it doesn't look like he's trying all that hard, but somehow he's enforcing his will sort of on accident. It's it's truly an amazing talent. Other things I want to talk about. Uh, I mean, we, we kind of went over the comeback. Chris Kreider has sort of rejuvenated himself also. Uh, I Listen, Chris isn't long for this world of, of Ranger Land. He's probably got... Wow, it's already Thanksgiving, which means we have like two months of Chris Kreider left in our lives, and then it's probably over. I definitely think uh, he's raised his trade value once again. I, I'm going to miss Chris Kreider dearly, but he has been a serious improvement over the past couple games and uh, doesn't seem to be hitting the post nearly as much anymore. Okay, good. good, good. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, sorry. I, I pregnant paused for you. That's okay. Yeah, that that's okay. Um, your, your apology accepted, by are the you, way. Are you go- you're okay. Oh, thank uh, you. Are you going to be as emotional with Kreider's Welcome back video when he signs with the Canucks this offseason than you were with Zuccarello tonight. This is an amazing transition because this is kind of where I was going. I personally, I look, listen, I love Zuccarello. I, I know we talked about it last year and getting traded. I was legitimately sad when he got traded. He's just a part of something that was very special to me. But Zuc was never my favorite player, right? He just wasn't, mm. like, he wasn't ever my guy. Like, I love and respect him. I, it was so nice seeing him back tonight. I definitely was a little emotional for it. I liked when he got off the bench and took a little lap uh, when he got on the ice. We probably Actually, when he definitely wasn't supposed to, but it was all etiquette. Everyone understood what it was. He definitely got like a five-minute standing ovation, and it was beautiful. I know Chris Kreider isn't, quote-unquote, like the level of fan favorite that Zuccarello is, but that's my guy. Like, he has been... When, when, we, when I got back to the Rangers hardcore, Chris Kreider was a big part of it. And I will be definitely way more emotional when he comes back. Like, I have his card on my desk at work like that's that's my dude so I I am starting to get like this sucks to trade that guy but there's no way we sign him for seven years and I'm I'm just being a business person about it there's just a logical no way that Chris Kreider gets signed for seven years with the New York Rangers so I do think he'll be a Canuck like you said and I will be sad about it uh when he comes back but I'm happy he's finally getting over what what happened to Zuccarello last year which was Zuc kind of got knew he was going to be traded it wasn't like really a secret got sad about it his play suffered and then he got over it and, and played at a better uh at a higher level and got pretty decent return almost a first round pick i think chris Kreider will do the same yeah i i wasn't as i don't again it could just be because i'm dead inside yeah that, that's dead from out. this past weekend um i wasn't that it was weird seeing zook back it was it, it it made i felt bad that he was no longer it was the I felt a lot worse tonight about him no longer being a Ranger than I did at any point 
last season or the year before that when I was in the mode of just trading him forever. And tonight I had the one moment where I thought to myself, like, man, I wonder if Zook's the one guy that you just let retire with. Like, I know Hank's going to do it, but I wondered if Zook would should have been the other guy the Rangers were like, you know what? Understand the rebuild is happening, and I understand we might not be good for a while, but I wonder if Zook is the guy we just keep along because he's Matt Zuccarello. And at the end of the day, there you go. There it is. Uh, I, I, it's I, probably, I was going to say anything. You did it. <laughs> uh, it's still better the Rangers traded him because you always cash out on the asset, especially when you're in a rebuilding situation. Uh, I will not be as emotional when Kreider returns. I'll just be like, hey, it's Chris Kreider. Um, I was trying to think of how to compare Matt Zuccarello time with the Rangers and how it, like my Met fandom. Mm-hmm. Zuccarello is like Carlos Beltran level production with David Wright's personality. And I think that makes it a little harder. Like it's going to like people forget how special and talented Beltran was as a player for the Mets. And I feel like people are going to forget occasionally how important and talented Matt Zuccarello was as a Ranger and how one injury could have changed the entire narrative of the Rangers decade. Trust me. I know when Duke got injured in the playoffs. Um, but they'll never forget the person because of what he did for this team, both on and off the ice. And it makes it different when that kind of player comes back. And while Kreider has been a Ranger for a long time and fans love him for his tenacity and all that, I don't think he'll, I don't think it'll be that it will not emotional. I, I, I know it will not be, but for me, it will be a little bit just cause that's my dude at the end of the day. See what I did? There you go. Um, I do. I guess we could go to our guest now. Uh, I think we covered pretty much everything. Anything else you want to get on, get to before we get to our guest and five star questions? Uh, no. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, transition to some ads, and then a, and then an interview from us at Bushers Breakaway. Transition again. All right, guys. It's Thanksgiving week. Let's talk about it. Once the leftovers run out, what are you gonna do? You've already cooked. You've slaved over an open stove. You sat there. You've eaten turkey. What are you going to do, cook again? Or are you going to use DoorDash? Come on, you're going to use DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. All you got to do is open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. You can get pizza, Chinese food, anything delivered to you. Hell, you can even get Wendy's Chick-fil-A. You can order that new Popeye sandwich right to your door, baby. That's it. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash right now. Our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code BSP. That's right. It's on your first order. It's $5 off. It's promo code BSB. So download it now, promo code BSB. And while I'm here, and I don't know about you, but I am so ready for Thursday. Turkey, stuffing, gravy, pumpkin pie, all the mashed potatoes I could fit in my mouth. And my favorite, three huge Huge heaping helpings of football. That's right. My kind of feast. And on top of all that, you can get do- you can get in on the action. You, you want to know how? That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook. You can take advantage of the special Thanksgiving offers all day on Thursday. Take a listen to some of the offers DraftKings has going on. Before kickoff, you can place a bet on a winner for any Thanksgiving football games. DraftKings will give you a free, that's right, free $5 bet. Plus, during the game, place a $5 in-game flash bet, and DraftKings will give you another free $5 bet. That's double the offer. Just check out promo tabs after the sign-up to get all the details and see what else DraftKings has to offer. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK at sign up for a limited time. All users can get a deposit up to deposit bonus up to $500. Don't forget that's code QUICK and all new and existing users can get a deposit up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years or older to apply. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus for cross 20x play with restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling prop called Andrew Gambler. Back to the show. Hey, we're back with our first and only guest of the day. We have Vince Pedri. Nailed that. Thank you so much. Uh, a, a former Hartford Wolfpack member and now a retired hockey player. Vince, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Uh, listen, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is obviously you spent some time in the in the Hartford Wolfpack. Um, I guess I'll start with what was the, how did they reach out to you to sign you? Uh, was it 2017 when you were signed? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting process. I had just finished my uh, my sophomore year at Penn State. We uh, made it to the NCAA tournament, and uh, at the time, I was kind of dealing with uh, a family advisor slash agent because when you're in the NCAA, you can't really have agents, so mm-hmm. we just call them family advisors. And uh, he reached out to me uh, the day after we got knocked out and said there might be some interest from a couple teams, so we kind of uh, – waited by the phone and he talked to some teams and I talked to some guys and uh, we just decided on New York and then literally uh, two days later maybe I was in my car packing up and heading to Hartford so it kind of happened quick but uh, it was uh, kind of a whirlwind of emotions for sure. Yeah, you, you were brought in on the heels of the Rangers playoff run so they were willy-nilly about trading away draft picks and were making pushes to sign NCAA free agents. I think I don't know if Neil Pionk signed the same summer you did, but it was around then. Uh, what What is the process? What 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 is that like for you? Because you, you were undrafted um, as an 18-year-old, so you're going through the motions like everyone else is playing, <clears throat> I believe, USHL hockey and then NCAA hockey. Did you ever have a moment? Did you ever worry about it being professional hockey not being a path you could pursue after Penn State? Man, to be honest, like I was such a late bloomer. Like I played, I played junior hockey until I was 21. I went to college as a freshman and I turned 22 my freshman year. So like initially going to Penn State, like my first goal was just to play. Like I just wanted to be in the lineup and play. And I was like, I'm going to have a great four years. I'm going to get an awesome degree. And then maybe I'll go play in Europe or, you know, play somewhere and just kind of see where it takes me. But I kind of had like, you know, the NHL was, was so far off my radar going into that, that first year at school just because, you know, I was, a, I was old as a freshman and, you know, I, I thought I was a decent player, but by no means was I expecting to have the success I did while I was at Penn State. <clears throat> and you were part of the, Penn State hockey renaissance, right? Like Penn State has become more and more of a hockey school in recent years, but you guys, were you part of the Cinderella team that went deeper into the Frozen Four than most people were expecting? Yeah, so I think when I, my first year there, we, uh, the program had been like Division One for maybe like three years, I want to say. And then my, my final year, my sophomore year was when we made the, the really uh, good run there. I think, uh, we uh, we lost to Denver uh, a game away from the Frozen Four, so that was uh, kind of put Penn State on the map hockey wise, and and since then they've obviously continued that uh, success that they've had, and I think it's only going to get better. Do you, you still stay in touch with a lot of people at the program, or uh, are you involved in it in any way? 
daily, daily. I still talk to the guys that are there. I still talk to the coaching staff. Uh, this last summer before I retired, I spent the whole summer there training and, and taking classes. And um, that's just something that they're great at where, you know, if you leave and go pursue other like professional options, like it's, it's an open door whenever you want to come back. And those guys there are some of my best friends. And we still in our group chat talk almost every day. So. What were you spent about a year and a half in Hartford and it was pre John Davidson, pre renewed uh, commitment from the Rangers front office to make it a more structurally viable situation for the team. What was the AHL like from your perspective? Cause Ryan and I big baseball guys, and we've heard war stories all the time about life on the road in the minor leagues, but I'm always curious to hear what it's like for, hockey players and how, how they go through it and how the AHL is treated as a developmental league. Yeah, I think everyone has a different experience. Uh, like looking back on it, I definitely wish I would have been there for the John Davidson era and, and what he's done with Hartford now and, and turning it around uh, complete 180. And uh, I'm happy to see the success that they're having this year. But like you said, life in the minors is it's kind of grueling. Like you're, you know, especially as a college kid where you're only playing like 36 to 40 games a year and then you, you turn pro and you're playing, you know, 70 to 80 to 90, depending on exhibition playoffs, that type of thing. Um, it's a lot of time on the bus. It's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, three games in three days, a lot of travel, you know, uh, just kind of uh, getting used to the pro lifestyle. And obviously when you go to the NHL, it's a lot different because they're taking chartered flights instead of chartered bus rides to, to different random cities throughout the United States and Canada. So it was, uh, it, it was definitely a, a learning experience. I kind of, uh, kind of felt like it was almost junior hockey again with the regards to the, the travel the bus rides and things like that. So it was, uh, it was definitely a lot different. What was the, was there, a, Oh, sorry. I need so, to go it's all good, baby. What was the talent difference uh, from playing at, at Penn State to going to the AHL? Were there guys where you were like, that guy is just way better than me. How do I even handle him? Um, so I think the biggest thing was, uh, you know, at, at that time, it wasn't necessarily like uh, like size or strength or things like that. Obviously, in pro guys are a little bit stronger, but um, the passing uh, compared from the pro level to the college level, I think is night and day. And I think that makes the game so much faster where – in college, you know, like sometimes, you know, there'd be a bobbled puck or, or not a, a clean executed play versus in pro hockey, like everything's sharp, everything's right on your tape and, and plays happen a lot quicker. So positionally, you have to be that much better or else you're going to get exposed. And the way the puck moves in pro hockey, even at the American League level, is is uh, pretty astonishing just uh, how, how good guys are and Sometimes you're not expecting a pass, and it'll get to your stick. So you gotta be ready to to handle it and make the next play. Was there a guy you played with or against that you just had to take a step back and go, "What the fuck is this guy doing in this league? He doesn't need to be here." <laughs> um, like you're talking skill wise, or you're talking like just just being a meathead out there. <laughs> you, we, we can do uh, both. Let's, let's go. Yeah, let's do both. But let's go skill wise first. Oh man. Um, it's hard to like look back and and remember, but like uh, like I, I remember that the first year there where we uh, we had like Philip Hedel 
and the way he came in as an 18 year old and and i look at myself as an 18 year old where i was playing like i he was light years ahead of me and obviously like he's having a tremendous year since he's been in new york but like i couldn't imagine doing what that kid was doing at 18 years old in pro hockey like we call the american league is probably the second best league in the world because you're you know you're a phone call away from the nhl so like he came in right away it was noticeable and you know even guys were like we got to play like like matt Bolesky was there for a while and and Brendan Smith came down and, and it's just like, you know, you're playing with guys that have been established NHLers for a long time. So I think anytime you're around that atmosphere, it's just like you want to be next to those guys and and learn as much as you could uh, from the guys that have been there. And then from the guys that you're just like, take a step back. You're just like, wow. There was a big story about Smith uh, today that he's been kind of mentoring Capococco and picking him up and, Capo's obviously adjusting to a whole new life here in North America. What was it like when Brandon Smith was down there? What did he like offer advice to everyone? Obviously, uh, he'd been in NHL for a long time at that point in time. Yeah, uh, he was great. Like he was my D partner for for like a good month there when he was down in Hartford uh, before he got hurt. But uh, he, uh, you know, even like when we're playing together, like we would come back to the bench and you know he'd tell me like one or two things and. You know, I'm sure for some guys, you you may think of it as this guy's, you know, criticizing his heart on me. But no, he just wants to to help you and, and make you a better player. And I think uh, just, you know, being around him and, and Matt Bolesky was like an awesome guy. Like he's, he's an unbelievable guy. And, you know, even him, like being a forward, I'm a defenseman. But so he would, you know, pull me aside, talk to me and it's like, you know, like, dude, you're Matt Pulaski, and I'm, I'm kind of a nobody, like, you know, so, like, he, he was great, and I think it's good like that, where, you know, you have a couple of veterans that can, can help you. Vince, did you consider unretiring and doing the Brendan Smith and just becoming a forward? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I never, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with retirement right now, okay. but, uh, I was always, you know, I always felt like I was more offensive as a defenseman, and, you know, <laughs> I definitely didn't try to play as a forward, but, you know, sometimes uh, I wonder what it'd been like to get a forward. What What was the thought process or just the transition process for you to leave the game of hockey? I mean, you're still obviously a, a young guy in real world terms, 25 years old. Yeah, we didn't even, we didn't even start podcasting until 25. Now we're 30. Yeah, and we're, no. and we're still nobody. Yeah, so it's, it's not, a, not a big thing at all. Uh, but for, for you... I mean, how you wouldn't have been the first hockey player in the world to try going overseas, try playing in other leagues, try making a career for it. Um, what at twenty five? What was the step back moment to you to be like? Maybe it's time for me to try something else. Well, I think it was just kind of a couple things, you know, come to mind where it was like, all right, like you know, I turned pro at twenty three, so that's you know normally later than most guys do like you know you look at some of the young guys now who come to the league they're 18 19 20 and they're they're tearing it up so I knew my clock had been ticking for a little bit where it was like you know if I don't crack an NHL lineup in the first year or two I'm probably not going to in the future and you know like obviously my dream of mine was playing the NHL and kind of this year it kind of hit me where it was just like you know if I don't want to like there's nothing wrong with playing in the minors for 10 to 15 years, but 
you kind of look at the way the game is being played now and you have all the concussion issues you you have your, your there's there's life after hockey and i i kind of sat down and thought about myself i was like you know do i really want to play in the american league or do i really want to go to europe and, and grind this out for 10 more years or do i want to retire with a full set of teeth <laughs> no bad concussions and i can go back to college and finish my degree and graduate and have a great degree to rely on and I think like just those things and, and making a smart decision to step away from the game and do that rather than to just to kind of you know grind it out and move every year find a new team and uh, I just didn't really want to deal with that anymore and you know it's I, I miss hockey a lot like I miss being around the guys but there's a lot of things I don't miss about it too. Vince, that's exactly how I felt about hockey, and that's why I didn't make it. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I tried, but I thought it would be a lot of stress on me, so I podcasted instead. I think you're doing the right thing here. Um, what what degree are you going for, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I got a communications degree I'm finishing right now. I still probably have about a year and a half to two years left. So right now I'm back home in Chicago. I am assistant coaching, like, three triple a teams here with uh, a program called team illinois and then uh when school starts next year i'm actually moving back to penn state i'll be a full-time student there on campus and i'll be helping out with their hockey team too awesome this is kind of it's, like a, an internship for you doing a podcast yeah exactly awesome exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh it, do you see hockey coaching in your future is it a way for you to stay connected to the game and uh moving forward in that direction yeah, that's the goal. Um, I think uh, once I get to, to Penn State and get involved with the program, I'll be able to kind of put that on my resume and I'll have my playing resume. And, you know, I've met a good amount of people through the game already. Um, and I'm hoping to get into coaching, whether that's, you know, at a college level, at a junior level, or, or even youth hockey somewhere. I, I know I want to be a coach. And, um, just even getting this experience to help out with, with Team Illinois right now is, is awesome. I'm on the ice four times a week with different teams and running drills and uh, trying to get uh, you know up to speed with the coaching side of the game. Obviously, you're from uh, – are you from Illinois? I guess it's not obvious. I should ask that question first. Yeah, yeah. So I was born here and, and grew up playing youth hockey here. And then I moved to Minnesota for a little bit, played high school hockey there, and then started uh my junior hockey career where i was freaking everywhere so are the blackhawks your team or what is your deal uh it's hard to say growing up like my dad's from michigan so mm -hmm. he was always a big red wings fan i was born in 94 so obviously you look kind of early there in the, in the late 90s the wings were always really good so grew up uh loving the wings love steve eiserman and that was kind of my team uh growing up but then you know you look at uh the success the Hawks have had over the last couple of years. So I would definitely say the Red Wings are my first team, and but I'm always happy to see the Hawks do well. If, would it be a dream cool. to work for one of those organizations, uh, possibly in the future? I'm assuming you, that would be yeah. something you've been trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it would be a dream to uh, to work in the NHL, regardless of what organization it is. But, you know, if you got to pick, I think, you know, you have two, like, you know, two of the original six teams there that have a, have a really good good track record of, you know, winning and having success, and I think that would be pretty cool. You were you were a point producing defenseman, so who who was your guy that you were trying to model your game after in college and in juniors? 
I religiously watched uh, Eric Carlson highlights, <laughs> uh, even when I was in class or at home or, or whenever. I uh, I watched every game he played. I watched every YouTube video there was about the guy. I think the way that he can create offense is the best in the league, hands down. And uh, he's a guy that skates so well. And he's kind of that new age defenseman where, you know, he's almost a fourth forward out there. And, you know, he's a guy that, you know, may not be your rugged 6'2", six, 6'3", six, defenseman that blows guys up and chips pucks out. But he's just as effective in his own zone as he is in the offensive zone. That guy beat the Rangers on one foot. So, yes, I do think that was a good idea. Exactly. He was literally exactly, literally yeah. broken and the Ottawa team around him, and he did it all by himself. It was uh, an unbelievably sad moment in my life. Uh, there, oh, yeah, he's, he's... It's, it's something else. Um, so what, what you're going to go back to college for two years, and then do you have, like, an in at Penn State afterwards to coach with them? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily an in by any means. Uh, Will you earn your I'm, earn your way is a better way to do that, I think? Um, uh, we're going to see where it takes me. I mean, I've had a great relationship with the coaching staff, and obviously they have two great assistants there and a fabulous head coach, so I'm not stepping in there That's expecting them point. to make up a position for me or anything. But if they're, I know they're going to be a staff where if I need a recommendation, they would uh, they'd help me out if I can do a good job student coaching. What is the uh, one thing you I just I I'm trying to think of I had I had a neighbor growing up who was on the juniors path and I just remember his mom always being tired because of how early those mornings were. Uh what what is the grind like for you or what was it like for you all those years getting up at well I would assume five o'clock in the morning to get just to get ice time. Oh man, like especially looking back at it now like we're we're playing youth hockey here in chicago and we'd have games uh in detroit or in toronto where we're playing five to six games a weekend you'd have two friday two saturday and then depending how the tournament went you could either have two on sunday or, or three even so it was uh, a lot of long weekends and a lot of long car rides and looking back at it like I don't necessarily remember the the wins or the losses or what tournaments we won or lost but I remember like every car ride I got to have with my dad I remembered every mini stick game there was in the hotel I remember some of my best favorite youth hockey teammates I still keep in touch with and those are the things you kind of look back where it was like yeah it was a grind but you, you look back and you have so many good memories from from those days and that's something that hockey has given me that has been better than any paycheck I could have gotten any, you know, anything like that, where like I have those memories from growing up and playing that are, uh, they're, they're pretty special. What's like the one thing you would give advice for someone that's sort of taking your path? Say, I guess you were a late bloomer, um, even for earlier bloomers. What, what's the, what is the coaching advice you give to people that are going to be in your position on, on how to stay motivated and, and, and uh, I guess, any, any life experience advice you can give them? I would say the first thing is, is that there's no rush. Um, everyone's clock is different. Everyone develops at, at later ages, and especially now with the way youth hockey is going, where, where if you're 16, 17, and you don't have a college commitment, like people are pressing the panic button, like, 
when am I going to get my scholarship? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't get a scholarship until I was 21 years old. Like, there's there's no rush. And, and I think the second thing I would say is um, before you're ready to make that next step to, to wherever it is, if you're going from, you know, youth hockey to the junior or junior hockey to college, like, make sure you you're dominant at the level you're at before you take the next step. Because if you're not completely dominant at the level you're at and you take that next step, you're going to have minimal success at the next level. I can't say it better myself, mostly because I've never been in a position to give that kind of advice, so I wouldn't have been able to say it better myself. That's what I tell the uh, podcaster, too. It's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, every podcaster asks me a question, how do you do it? It's just like a lot of you know, words and stuff. and A lot of, a lot of every Monday. Uh, Vince, I'm sort of out of questions at this point. Gregory, your, your uh, closing remarks? Uh, Vince, you, awesome having you on, man. You've been so generous with your time, and it's always fun to get a different perspective from the game than either of us have because we're just two nerds with the television. So it's a lot, it's a lot easier for people to come on here and give us insight that we wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. Hey, well, I'm happy to come on anytime you guys need somebody and let me know. And uh, thank you guys for having me. Of course. Before I let you go, is there any like one special moment in Hartford where you were like, I can't believe this is real? Um, there's probably uh, two things to uh, that, that stick out is, was like my first, my first pro game. I remember uh, like vividly uh, we played Hershey at home and, and uh, my whole family was there and that's just you know everyone's first pro game they're gonna remember and then uh i think the second thing was is it was uh maybe a week after uh Bolesky got got to our team and um i was nervous to talk to him just because he's you know he's been in the nhl forever and he comes up to me he's like hey like where's some good spots to eat around here and I told him a restaurant and he's like, all right, well, I'll meet you there at like seven. I'm like, <laughs> all right. That's, sounds good. And so it was me, uh, Adam Tavolini and, and Blasky and we all went out to eat and, you know, usually like, you want to eat with a teammate and like, you know, I get my bill, he gets his, his bill and we get out the door and we sit down for dinner and, and Maddie starts you know, ordering, you know, appetizer after appetizer a couple different entrees bottle of wine and dessert me and Tambor are looking at each other like this is gonna be 400 600 dinner <laughs> and like i'm <laughs> kind of sitting there as, as a rookie i'm like oh my god like you know i i gotta pay rent this month like what's going on and of course the, the check comes and, and maddie picks it up and it's just you know little things like that where you know it's something he didn't have to do he asked me to go to dinner and it was just uh, that was kind of a cool moment just to see that you know this guy has absolutely no idea who he is or who i am but you know for what he did for me just kind of throughout the, the year and a half i was there it was pretty pretty awesome well vince if you're ever in new york city i, I promise i will buy you a slice of pizza very similar to what matt did <laughs> for you um, uh, i'll take you up on that place <laughs> awesome man thanks so much for coming on we'll talk to you soon all right, thank you. Peace out, buddy. Great interview with Vince. Probably the best Vince we've ever had in this podcast. Oh, wow. Shots fired. Well, you know what? You're allowed to take shots fired. Uh, Vince and I went man-on-man. Uh, -man, total stubbornness in Montreal, and he didn't want to come hang out. He liked his bar. I liked my bar, and neither of us won. Uh, that's probably fair.
I, I think I think I like the idea of you both sitting alone in different bars. But you were John. <laughs> never mind. But uh... Uh, in in uh, in Vince's defense, he was out with uh, Colin and another beat writer, and I was like, "You two should come." I don't know about the third beat writer. I would have uh, gone there immediately. Uh, but I get why. I know who you are, also. So never mind. I understand. Um, <laughs> uh, let's do the five star questions for the week. Nine of them. I haven't oh, I, I haven't Christ. read any of them, so they're all first time reads. Here we go. This is from Matt Heron of Canada. Hey guys, I'm curious to what your both of your opinions are, would be after you guys mentioned this last week. Oh, uh, on Paul Yarvi, I guess. Edmonton's now up the price on Paul Yarvi, and it's almost King's ransom high. Would you guys consider trading for him in the very near, near future, aka this year? And what would you give, or would you rather wait to see if the Edmonton price drops and eventually makes it into free agency? Cheers, guys. I think Pool Party is up for trade, and I think the price is lower than you think. And Edmonton is positioning themselves the best they can. And I think when the trade, and if the trade happens with New York Rangers, it involves Elias Anderson. Um, it wouldn't shock me if it involves Elias Anderson. I think the the Oilers will want at least a talented young skater back in return because it's a talented young skater they're giving up. I I think the the Rangers are clearly going to have interest. They've been reported to have interest. They're going to continue to have interest as long as he's available. Um, I don't think they're against the idea of trading Leah Anderson, but like all teams, they're going to want to wait to see if they can outlast the Oilers. And there's a chance they do. And there's a chance they don't. I, I, I don't think, I don't think the reason to trade Leah Anderson is because he's been struggling in the NHL this year. I think the reason to trade it's more about a reason to trade for Jesse Poyarvi, which is, again, Rangers lack wing depth. They desperately need wingers. They need to create uh, long-term viable options that can help grow with Keedle and, I guess, with Brett Howden in this instance if we're trading Elias Anderson. So it's about, even though center depth doesn't seem like a strength for the Rangers, it's they have three young guys plus Mika Zibanejad, so you have the option to make a move with one of those guys included. Um, yeah, it's wing depth right now seems like more of a long-term need for the Rangers than center depth. That's crazy as that is to say. Next question is from uh, Roselle seven. Hey there. I just have a question regarding crafts It's been quiet from a news point of view. Just wondering if he's scoring and I know there's nothing to worry about, but what is the worst case scenario regarding crafts at this point? I don't know if there is a worst-case scenario regarding Kravstov. Uh, looking up his stats on the KHL site, he has two points in 17 minutes this year. So it's not like he's doing a lot over there. His team is pretty butthole from what I, from my understandings of Tractor uh, and how bad it is. So I, I, I think the worst-case scenario is that he stays over there for not just this season but next season. If he stays over there for all this season, I, I, I think it's fine. But I also... I don't think that happens. I think he comes back. I am upset that he left a good situation in Hartford because Hartford's culture has totally turned around. Uh, and I think he missed out on an opportunity to really get a lot of good coaching and development at that point in time, rather than go back to tractor, which is a, a, a tractor fire uh, for lack of wordplay. I don't know if a worse, even if he stays there next year, I don't know how that can be viewed as a worst case scenario. He's still a incredibly young winger with an incredibly bright future. Um, I still don't blame him for leaving, man. I, look, Vince, we who we just had on the podcast, was telling us about transitioning to life as a professional hockey player, and he was he had the advantage of doing it one as an American and two as a twenty three year old. So he might he was clearly in a better position to 
handle it a little bit more than a teenager from Russia who's coming over here for the first time in basically his life for this long of an extended period of time. And he came over here with expectations that weren't met. So it's, I don't know, I wouldn't have wanted to live in Georgia any longer than I did if expectations weren't being met that I went down there with. So not sure how we could ever really blame him for, he didn't even give up on Hartford. He just, it's not where he wanted to be as a kid. And it's not where the Rangers envisioned him being as a kid either. And it's, it didn't work out. So he went back to Russia to make more money, to play in a more familiar situation, and to grow for another year. I don't think anyone anyone who's angry about it is just being ridiculous and doesn't have the mental capacity to put themselves in another person's shoes. I get it. Which you probably shouldn't be listening to their takes anyway. I get it. I just, you know, I think he missed out on an opportunity because Hartford's been so good this year. And it's good to have maybe the winning culture experience. Or it doesn't matter. And he's just talented and he's going to come back and be great when he gets here. One of those is true. Or maybe both is true. Uh, this next question is from Nick Sweet 13 Hey, guys, what do you think the odds the Rangers' first-round pick is outside the top five and they trade their first and an asset to move up? What asset would it take, and who do you guys have your eyes on in the upcoming draft? Thanks, and keep up the amazing podcasting. Thanks, Nick. Um, I got bad news for you, Nick. There's a good chance it's outside the top five because the Rangers, I don't know if you've noticed, keep winning um, some games on accident. And... I don't think they're going to be uh, one of the top teams in the league or make the playoffs, but they won't be one of the higher ones picking in, in, in the draft. I think right now their odds are like, I don't know, like 18% to get a top three pick. You asked what we could trade to outside the top five to move up to the top four. Here's the bad news. Nobody's trading those picks in this draft. The 2020 draft is noted as one of the best drafts, especially the top end talent. Um, Byfield is a name you're going to hear a lot. Uh, Lucas Raymond is a name you're going to hear a lot. Lafrienre, uh, La which one day I'll be able to pronounce, you'll hear a lot. This draft is loaded. So no team that's in the top at least four or five is probably going to trade their pick at all. I'm, I don't think I'm off base with that at all. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't think I don't think the Rangers are going to get lucky two years in a row, and I don't think the Rangers would want to meet whatever asking price a team is going to demand for a top five pick. It just ain't going to happen. If the Rangers People, get a, if the Rangers get a top three pick again, which is what I dearly want, uh, we'll be in a very good spot for a very long time. I mean, even if they don't, they're still in a very good spot for a very long time. It's like people forget the Rangers have the best farm system in hockey right now. Yeah, Keandre Miller's coming, and I'm going to be obsessed with him, as so yep. as so many other people are too. Next question is from Sandstrom's Tantrums. I think they wrote that on purpose. Uh, given Ryan Strom's remarkable consistency since becoming a Ranger and his emerging leadership, his emerging leadership, here's my question. Who is more valuable to their team? Ryan Strom to the Rangers or Jordan Eberle to the Islanders? Good question. Uh, it's definitely uh, Eberle. I would say Eberle to the Islanders because Eberle is winning. Yeah, the Eberle, like, is, that team is... Listen, guys, I still think the, the Islanders are going to get eliminated in the first round. Just kind of what they do. I think they get beat up by a more superior team when the time comes, but they can't lose right now. It's, it's really just not happening for them. So I would have to give it to Everly. Yeah. And it's also, it's, it's like Everly's success with the Islanders because they're not asking him to do anything he isn't capable of, which the Rangers are putting Strom in more challenging positions, which is impressive considering what he's been able to, accomplish at the same time it's just like 
would Ryan, would this version of Ryan Strome be able to do what Jordan Everlay is doing in uh, with the Islanders? And I, it, I mean, it's it's kind of an impossible question to answer. It's just it's hard to imagine a trade. It's hard to imagine two trades working out as poorly for the Oilers as they did in both those instances. Not a great. Uh, next question is a little bit of a long one from Original MC One. Hey guys, Mike in New Haven again. What's up, Mike? A couple of questions, if you don't mind. We don't. That's why we do this segment. First, as far as the all-decade team you guys discussed the other day. uh, uh, Pause break. Uh, Just so you guys know, we usually release a BSB OT on The Athletic, where you can subscribe right now, theathletic.com slash BSB, for get 40% off for your first year. Uh, The BSB OT will be all... uh, We're giving you a free sample for Thanksgiving, and the all-decade team will come out on Wednesday. So if you guys want to listen to that, Greg and I talk about the All-Decade team. That comes out on Wednesday. Okay, back to his question. Uh, first of all, as far as the All-Decade teams you guys discussed the other day, it got me thinking about the other aspect of the Rangers. Guys who were great primarily elsewhere and had a short stint with the New York Rangers. Think about guys like Gretzky from 96 and 99, Yager from 04 to 08, Brendan Shanahan from 06 to 08, St. Louis, and even uh, Luke Robitaille, I can't say that name, I'm sorry. From Robitaille? You can't say Luke Robitaille? I don't know why I did that, Robitaille. I- I can't read. If if you had to put it together short a short but sweet team, who would you pick and why? Second, oh, let's do that first. Short but sweet. A short but sweet team? I feel like he just named all the short but sweet players. I mean, I always loved Theo Fleury. I'm not and I know that he like he wasn't a great ranger, but he made those teams entertaining. Um I'm not adding Dan Boyle, I'll say that. That's that's not happening. You just love Dan Boyle. I do. Uh, do not. It it sucks because there are guys who were here for a short time that should have been sweeter, sweeter, but got misused. Uh, Eric, Eric Stahl. Stahl comes to mind. Yep. Keith Yandel comes to mind. Yep. Um, Eric Lindros was here for a short time, but it didn't feel sweet. Just felt like he was injured all the time. It's it's the short but sweet stuff is tough. It just it feel like. Whenever the Rangers took big swings on guys, it just never worked out. Like they took a big swing on Pavel Bore and it never worked out because he was injured. So I don't know. That one's tough. I Theo Fleury's a personal favorite. So I'd say Theo Fleury, but I don't know. That was hard. That's a hard question, but I appreciate it. We did our best, which is probably not good enough. Uh, his second point is, I loved your dialogue on who should broadcast the NHL games the other day. I agree with Greg points on NBC, but what about joint TV contract like ESPN and Fox had in the 90s. You could still MB- still have NBC doing games, but perhaps you could bring back Gary Thorne and Bill Clement, who are awesome, to do games on ESPN. What do you guys think? I think ESPN Plus announced that they have an NHL deal today, and they're going to be showing some games. I think they have 32 games. I'm not sure who's doing them, but I'm curious to see what the production will be like from them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always a great idea from a league perspective to have the games on in more um households but the one thing that is most important to tv networks is uh proprietary yeah yay yeah you can't say names i can't say words so this works out this is this is why we podcast um good team it's always better for a league to say it's exclusive it's always better for every tv network in the history of tv networks to say this is exclusive so Teams, the league will always want more team, more networks involved because that means more money for them. 
But a single network will always pay more money for a single product because then it's exclusive to them. So would it be great to have Gary Thorne calling hockey games? Yeah, because Gary Thorne's probably the best that ever is. At the same time, I just I can't say I see it happening. Not from that NHL perspective. Speaking of money, this question is from Jeezy Money. Love the podcast. Great job as always, guys. Question. Do you think it's an issue that no one in the Rangers has ever won a, ever won a Stanley Cup? Is this something? No. Is this something that management should be trying to add to the team? No. Yeah, I agree with Greg. Um, I don't. A lot think... of shitty players have won Stanley Cups. It doesn't immediately make them good. Michael Dozato has a Stanley Cup. There does. He's twenty nine. God damn it! He's a kid still. That makes me so pissed. Um, the next question is from Rocky Mountain Rangers. Like, like imagine. Oh, yeah. Michael Haley's on this. Has a fucking ring. Does that make Michael Haley a better hockey player? Fucking no, it doesn't. He's still a shitty it, hockey player. It, it would make sense if like these players like. Like, if Crosby was on the team, turns out that's good because Crosby's good and he was a part of the reason they won a cup, whereas Delzato, not so much. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the, I think the most overrated character, I don't because I don't even think it's character, characteristic of any player in the history of professional sports is quote-unquote playoff experience. I just, yes, it's better if you've been to the playoffs before, but because you've been to the playoffs a lot doesn't mean – you are better prepared for the playoffs. Agree. This is from Rocky Mountain Rangers, five-star question. Relating to my question last week, would would you think it would be better for Kako to be living with a teammate instead of a random host family? I know other young players in the league get paired with teammates to help them assimilate to professional life. Thanks. I uh, I think one, so. I, I, well, go, go no, on. I don't think so at all. I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to assume to know anything going on in Kako Kako's life. I would... When I go home from work, I would be less happy if I went home to someone else I worked with because then you – the whole thing with hanging out with coworkers all the time. At some point in time, regardless of what your goal is that night or what your conversation is about, you're going to eventually start talking about work. And to me, mentally, the best thing to do after work is escape work entirely. Kako is – a child living in a new country already thinking about hockey all the time, already expected to um, handle a lot of hockey responsibilities. I'm sure the last thing anyone would want in that situation is to then go home and be tethered to someone who is closely, closely connected to that other responsibility that you are now trying to escape. Let me say what I think I was, I was getting for there. I think for a lot of different players, it would be beneficial to live with teammates to help assimilate to professional life. But I do think that Capo Caco is more of a shy guy. The article that came out about Brandon Smith trying to mentor him, like a lot of times Brandon Smith picks him up, Capo says good morning, and then says nothing else. The part, the point of that article that really ma- that you know makes the most sense for me or why it would be so hard is Caco has diabetes and celiac. The kid's diet is hard. And I'm sure he got home-cooked meals his whole entire life over in Finland. I'm just making an assumption here, but I've been to Europe and they, they prefer home cooked meals and eating out. Meanwhile, New York city, all the food in the world. Um, so I think it, it's a, it's a big time adjustment for him. I, I, I think it's better to have sort of a, uh, handholding situation rather than a teammate who's also stressing about their job. Like you mentioned, Greg. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I've never lived with, Oh, I did live with a coworker once. Oh my God. I forgot. I lived with a coworker once. Yeah, just every conversation eventually goes back to work, and that's not fun. 
This is from JJKA03. Hey, guys, love the podcast. A lot of love today. I'm feeling it. I, I was taking a look at team stats since Lindy Ruff took over the defense in 2017. First of all, why yeah. would you why would you do this? Since then, yeah. the Ra- the Rangers have given up eight percent more goals and become eleven percent more 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 worse. He didn't say more. That was my my bad reading. Eleven percent worse on the penalty kill. These percentages have increased year over year. He has he has a passive defensive style, and of having players defend a box to take away a shot, and only applying pressures in the corners. He's giving the opposing team's talented players too much time with the puck to make plays. Can we please bring in someone with a more progressive play style for this young group? There's absolutely no upside keeping him around now that Quinn has his feet under him. Thanks again, and praise be. Praise be. Oh, man. Uh, I, I I know that yeah, there's, yeah. there's been... Yes, I would love to replace Lindy Ruff. There has been some talk about how Lindy Ruff is not running the defense, except it's actually... Uh, the person that uh, Brown is his name that uh Quinn yeah, Greg, Greg Brown that Quinn brought in. Uh, I I don't really believe it as much. Lindy definitely has a big sway over the defense. I do think this will be last year, the, Lindy's last year here. I'd be surprised if he lasted longer than that. They're waiting for the right moment. Yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense that he's still here now. It didn't make sense that he went from the AV uh tenure to the Quinn tenure. So. I'm not going to pretend to know when it uh, is going to end, but I don't know what more reason you could need, quite honestly. Last question from Gunslinger2094. If money were no object, who is the one player you would like to see on the Rangers roster? Like, is outside there, of Connor McDavid? Yeah, I was like, isn't there only one answer to this? Because uh, let's just go. My, my gut reaction was Connor McDavid. Who is the, who is the second person? Probably Nate McKinnon. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's Nate. <sighs> yeah, I think those are the big two. I, I really, I don't know even know who the the third what Pasternak maybe, maybe, I don't know. It's it would be McDavid. It's McDavid by a landslide. I don't think they'll ever cha- have a chance to see him in a Ranger roster. I don't think. Do you do you think he ever gets the free agency? Like <laughs> McDavid? Yeah. No, I really don't. I don't think so either. I think McKinnon probably gets the free agency, but even then, I don't. Good teams shouldn't let good players get the free agency. Then again, Artemi Panarin is on his third team in five years, so what the fuck do we know? It's true. That's today's show. If you want to, well, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you all enjoy the wonderful holiday. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at Orion Mead and Greg at Blue Shirts Break. We'll be back next week. Um, just a, a quick side note or ending note. Uh, I know that we are doing a meetup game on the 27th of December, and there's still some tickets available. It's a sweet game. Uh, I, I think it's pretty reasonable pricing for, for a sweet, especially for that game, and it is like a holiday game. So if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, Orion Me, just slide in my DMs and be like, hey, I'm interested. I want to know some more details. I think there's seven tickets left. It's a Reddit meetup game slash also uh, a game a game meetup with us. So it should be a fun time. I'll probably be in the appropriate attire, and uh, we'll have a great time. Gregory, uh, any final parting thoughts? No. Okay. Love you guys. We'll talk next week. and in, in, Well, actually, we'll talk to you on Wednesday when the All Decade comes out, but we'll be back with the flagship next week. Love you guys. Bye. Whatever you're saving up for, 
a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.00% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. Explore beyond the stratosphere in Museum of the Bible's compelling exhibition, Scripture and Science, Our Universe, Ourselves, Our Place, in Washington, D.C., open now through January 15th. Featuring artifacts from trailblazers in history like Isaac Newton, Nicholas Copernicus, and hidden figures like Dorothy Vaughn, this exhibit guides you through groundbreaking discoveries and thought-provoking questions. Come and see how Scripture and Science have shaped our world. Get your tickets today at museumofthebible.org.